SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South. Welcome to another installment of the SDS podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida, 620 AM and 95.3 FM. You can follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. Our guest for this episode is former Auburn quarterback Chris Davis. He spent some time in the NFL with the then San Diego Chargers, now Los Angeles Chargers, and also the San Francisco 49ers. However, listeners of this show are going to remember him best as the author of The Kick Six, arguably the biggest play in the history of the Iron Bowl. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Chris11AU. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the program, especially this week. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. But before we get started, the Bud Light Tailgate Tour continues this week in Columbia for Clemson and South Carolina. The party is located at the corner of Bluff Road and Hemlock Road. The festivities will begin about four hours before kickoff. That means approximately 3.30 p.m. right until toe meeting leather at 7.30 inside Williams-Brice Stadium. There will be complimentary Bud Light available and catering provided by the Verstwagen. Awesome, awesome German-style food locally. Trust me, folks, I went to the Bud Light tailgate tour last year before Florida, Georgia in Jacksonville. It is quite the party, to say the least. Live music, tons of TVs, drinking games, and, of course, Bud Light as far as the eye can see. You must be 21 years of age to attend, and security will be checking IDs at the entrance. Once again, that is the Bud Light Tailgate Tour, Saturday in Columbia before Clemson, South Carolina, the corner of Bluff and Hemlock, 3.30 until kickoff at 7.30. And without further ado, Chris Davis, it is Iron Bowl week and the winner goes to Atlanta, just like your senior season on the Plains in 2013, right? Yes, sir. I'm sure you're looking forward to this one, but before we get diving deep into the Iron Bowl it's, it's for all the marbles in the West, and that's the way this game should be. But you're originally from the Birmingham area. Tell me about your earliest memories of the Iron Bowl game itself. Uh, I don't have too many early memories of the Iron Bowl. Uh, I grew up kind of an Alabama fan. You know, I didn't have to draw a line between the sand and choose Alabama Auburn. I Somehow I just leaned it towards Alabama uh, a little more than Auburn. And, you know, so I never had to draw a line in the sand. And uh, Alabama didn't offer me, so that's why I didn't end up playing my college football career at Alabama. But I think if they would have offered me, I would have attended Alabama over Auburn. (laughs) See, that's very interesting. And I'm curious if your decision to go to Auburn was in part because Alabama, the school you grew up rooting for, did not offer you. Was there a little bit of spite there saying, hey, I'm going to show these guys? Or is or that just sort of how it worked out? Uh, that's just sort of how it worked out. That didn't really play a factor. Um, I had a scholarship from Auburn, and I knew I wanted to stay close to home, and that would draw me to Auburn. But how difficult was it to sign that national letter of intent? Again, you grew up an Alabama fan. That was really your team growing up. You don't get a chance to go there. Obviously, that is the dream. And when you grow up an Alabama fan – 
presumably you're not supposed to like that Cal College down the road, as some people have infamously called it. So was it difficult going to Auburn? Because maybe that wasn't the dream originally when you started playing this game. No, the dream was to play college football. You know, and I I don't think it mattered where I played. So it wasn't difficult signing that letter of intent. So when you were a high school player, as I understand it, you played just as much offense as defense. Certainly, you know, very commonplace these days. But you were a pretty solid running back, especially your senior season. Tell me about having to give up playing that position and being exclusively a defensive guy and a return specialist when you got to Auburn. Was there any conversation with recruiters, maybe a smaller school you could have gone to, that would have given you the opportunity to run the rock as opposed to defending the pass? Uh, yeah, I had um, UAB and Mississippi State. Um, I was an athlete in high school. I, I I wouldn't say I played running back. I played kind of everything. And um, I almost didn't want to go to Auburn when I found out they were recruiting me as a defensive back. And um, I remember I did an interview, and I told them, like, I kind of lost love for the game, you know, it's, I guess it was just that move to defensive back because I was the type of player that liked the ball in my hands, you know. I feel like I was at my best with the ball in my hands. And uh, some of my friends growing up, they used to tell me, man, you won't have your best game in college until they put you on offense, you know. So that's they used to seeing me with the ball in my hands. And I kind of lost a little bit of love for the game, not getting the ball in my hands. But my senior year on the Plains, I kind of, Started back getting back in the rhythm of doing punt return and a little bit of kick return, and I kind of found that love back for the game. So just playing defense your first couple of years at Auburn, was it difficult to go to practice? I mean, you're telling me that in your blood you're an offensive guy, you like to make things happen with the ball in your hands, but you're being told, hey, it's your job now to stop the other team, not to make it go for us. Tell me other ways that you found the passion for the game without having the ball in your hands and having to do it a different way. Uh, defense was the quickest way for me to get on the field. And um, as a freshman, I played, I think I played every game defensively, uh, besides Alabama and Georgia. So defensively was the quickest way for me to get on the field. And now it wasn't no struggle uh, going to practice every day. I just went out and competed because I was a competitor. You know, and I just went out and competed every day, you know, tried to get on punt return and kickoff return, but I kept getting denied because back then they liked the offensive players to play those positions. But if you ask me, defensive players are the better athletes than, you know, some receivers. I think defensive players are better athletes because defensive players be the ones that played, was the athlete in in uh, high school and was able to make the switch to defensive back. Yeah, there's a lot of people who say that you have to be a better athlete on defense because the offensive guy, especially the receiver, he's running the route. He knows where he's going versus the DB covering him who has to make all the adjustments. But I haven't asked this Yeah, I haven't asked this question directly like this before, but I've wondered you know, I played a little football, certainly not like you did. I was primarily a wide receiver, but in today's environment, the way the game is played, the way the rules are set up, the way the game is officiated. Why would anybody want to play defensive back in particular? It seems incredibly difficult to play because the game 
They're encouraging the ability to score points. If you go anywhere near a receiver these days, you're getting flagged for holding, you're getting flagged for interference. I imagine it's very difficult just to play that position, and I find it odd for some players that just grow up wanting to be on that side of the ball. What say you? Uh, I think it's a lot of <clears throat> things that play a part in that. You know, uh, a lot of DBs around 5'10", 5'11". That's a typical DB. And uh, some people, you know, you have some people in your ear telling you, man, you, you won't play receiver at that at 5'10", 5'11", you know. So your best bet is on the defensive end. And I, I just think you have to adjust. Yeah, it, the, the rules are kind of shaky. Like you said, they want to see more points scored. So you just have to kind of adjust. Like it's different from college to the NFL because in college you can keep your hands on the receiver as long as you want. At the NFL, you got to let them go after five yards. You know, and, and I think the first year or maybe the preseason or the first season in the NFL, some players struggle with it. But after that, I think they catch on to it. So after your career at Auburn, you don't get a chance to get drafted, unfortunately, but you do sign as an undrafted free agent with the Chargers. You get a chance to play as a rookie. I'm curious about your first NFL moment, your first, wow, I can't believe that what's happening right here. Was it the first time you got a paycheck to play the game? Was it the first time you went through the tunnel at an NFL stadium? Give me that first time when you realize, hey, this is for real. I'm a pro and I'm getting paid for this. I, I say it's the first time I stepped on the field, like dressed fully in an in a NFL uniform. Because my first four games, I was kind of inactive, and I, I due to a foot injury that I suffered in college. But man, it was a dream come true. You know, I, I worked in my whole life for that moment, and um, the first time I seen that moment kind of faded away was the NFL draft when I didn't hear my name called. But like I said before, I was a competitor, and I was determined to go in and compete and win me a position, you know. <laughs> and it, it, it just so happened to play out that way. Tell me the first NFL player that truly took your breath away. Maybe it was a teammate that you had. Maybe it was an opponent in even a preseason game. Or maybe it was a regular season game. Just a guy you played against, you had heard about. Maybe you grew up watching him on TV. When you finally saw him in person, you just said, Wow, I can't believe how good this guy is. I'm going to give you the perfect person, Eric Weddle. Very good player. The safety, Eric Weddle. He was the safety at uh, San Diego. Now he with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Man, he was, he's the perfect pro. He do everything right from film study to taking care of his body to working out two, three times a day, waking up 5 o'clock in the morning, be the first one in, last one out. Man, he was the perfect role model now now tell me about what another way i want to go with you is now you did spend some time in the nfl but you were part of some sensational teams with auburn of course i mean the national championship team in 2010 you came on the cusp in 2013 before the final play of the game essentially but you play with a lot of sensational players with the tigers and i bet there's a handful of them that you anticipated that would be incredible on sunday as well Tell me about a teammate you had in college that, for whatever reason, maybe it was injury, maybe the pro game just didn't suit him. Give me an example of somebody you thought would be big time in the NFL, but maybe this didn't quite happen for him. Uh, I thought I thought a lot of my teammates would get a chance, you know, to play on Sunday. You know, but uh, reality kicks in, and everybody can't 
play on Sunday. I remember a commercial. It said we all go pro in something other than sports. And you, you really don't look at that um, when you in college because everybody's goal is I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to get drafted. And like I said, I had a, a, a lot of teammates that I thought that would get the chance to play on Sunday, that I thought that was good enough to play on Sunday, but never got that opportunity. One former teammate I have to ask you about is Trey Mason, the sensational running back. What a season he had in 2013, especially down the stretch. Got himself for the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York, although did not win. But this is a guy who, with the Rams as a rookie, he actually had a pretty good season. But then the organization decided to draft Todd Gurley. Mason realized he sort of wasn't the future there, and his career has kind of gone how it has. It's very bizarre. People worry about his health, and maybe there's some mental things going on there. Tell me about the Trey Mason you remember. Do you have any contact with him now? Do you have any insight onto why his career has gone the way it has? Because I know there's a lot of people, family, friends, and otherwise, who are just worried about his future at this point. Yeah, I don't have any insight of what Trey got going on right now, you know, what's his situation, but the trade that I know from from Auburn was a tough, hard-nosed runner, uh, a great guy that liked to dance. You know, um, he was just a fun guy to be around, you know, and have as a teammate. He was a leader, you know. He didn't talk too much. He'd rather show it with his play, kind of like myself. But that Trey Mason, you know, that, that I remember, you know, rushing for all them yards in the SEC championship game, I think setting the record. You know, and had the, the had the Heisman pose in the SEC game. You know that it, it was fun to watch Trey. You're listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Our guest is former Auburn cornerback Chris Davis, and we've waited long enough, Chris. We have to talk about the kick six because it's one of the most memorable plays in recent college football history. And as I said at the top of the show, maybe the most famous play in the history of the Iron Bowl. You have to practice everything. I've talked to your coach, Coach Chiswick, before. You have to practice everything over the course of the season, but you can't necessarily work on it every single week because you only have 20 hours on the practice field as mandated by the NCAA. So we know how the play worked out in the end live, but when was the last time you actually practiced that particular play? Did you ever run at full speed? Did you ever anticipate it opening up the way it did? My senior year, we never practiced that play. Never? No kidding? Never. No kidding. <laughs> we never practiced that play. So you're, so you're telling me that it so, – so how did everybody know to run it? Now, I know this wasn't a perfectly scripted and diagrammed play. For the most part, you're trying to block a field goal and you're just under the goalpost. But if you didn't practice it, how exactly did you prepare for it and know, know how to attack this thing? Uh, it was kind of like doing a timeout. Um, coach kind of like made the decision, you know, to go on and put somebody back deep. And um, since I was the primary punt returner, punt returner, coach made the decision to put me back deep. But the intentions was to block the field goal. You know, you got some people that that was on the field that night didn't even know I was back there. That was on my team because even when we came to the sideline, you know, they was. They was just hearing one word, we got to get a hand on the football. We got to block the field goal. You know, so they didn't even know I was back there. And I guess once the kick went in the air, every, the couple people that was on my team, the rest of the 10 players, they just turned around and watched. 
then I guess some of, some of them knew that I was back there at that moment. And that's when instinct kicked in and they just turned around and find, found someone to block. So you're telling me that this was sort of like a basketball play and Coach Malzahn sort of pulls out the whiteboard and draws something up real quick during a timeout. At no point was there return right or return left or middle return. There was no plan for a couple of guys to peel off and give you a little bit of a mini wedge. Nothing like that. This was catch the football and basically sandlot after that. Catch it and run. You know, uh, they can they can try to tell you where to run, you know, where to go, but as an athlete, you got to let them do his thing. You know, you got to let him be an athlete, let him make his decisions. I, and I knew uh, going into that play that they had bigger guys on the field, and I knew change of direction, they wasn't going to be able to move as quickly, you know, coming from one way to another. So I just tried to set it up going towards the right middle, towards the middle to the right, and I kind of, like, bounced it back to our sideline. And somehow, man, the blocking that was set up, it was perfectly. And that makes people think that we practiced that. And that's the funny thing, but we never practiced that at practice. That's incredible to me. So so tell me the moment, what it felt like when you saw the ball in flight and you realized you were going to get a chance to, t- to catch it. Tell me the first time you saw a little bit of daylight and you realized, I have a chance to house this thing. At what point did you realize that you were going to win this football game? Were you still at midfield? Did you not even realize it until after you were celebrating? Do your best to sort of walk me through the emotions of the play itself. I imagine 99% of it was instinct. But if I could get some sort of image of what was going on in your head, I would love to hear it. Okay. As I was standing in the back of the end zone, when I saw the kick, it looked it like it was going to be good for a minute. It looked it like it was going to be good for a minute. But as it traveled further, I seen it falling short. And I, I said to myself, man, I got a chance. I got a chance. And like I said before, I knew they had bigger guys on the field. And I, I tell people this to this day, man, if we had to do that again, I would score again. <laughs> you know, and it, when I caught it, like I said, I tried to set it up. I tried to make the bigger guys change direction. And you got to think, during the kick, Alabama players was kind of watching the kick before they even – it took them a minute to start moving because they was just watching the kick and see was it going to go in or not. And, um, man, like I said, I took it uh, to the middle right, set it up, and brought it back to our sideline where our guys was just knocking people out left to right. But I knew that I, when I was going to score, when I managed to tilt toward the sideline, I knew I was gone then. I think someone, it was either the kick or the holder had got like a hand on me, but he didn't get enough for me. So I tiptoed toward the sideline. I knew I had a chance to take it all the way then. Now, just so you know, before I started covering the SEC, I used to cover the Chicago Bears and the NFL. And I was there for most of Devin Hester's career, including when he was a rookie. And he had a play just like this against the New York Giants, where he took back a missed field goal all the way to the house. And you're right about on the other side, the field goal team. Because if there is a situation like this, they might have two guys on the field capable of even making a tackle for a guy like yourself. You've got seven guys on the front wall that are essentially guards and tackles. You might have wings who are like these, you know, 260-pound tight ends. you got a holder and a kicker who are, of course, specialists. They're not going to be able to run with you. I can't imagine there's a way for, if this happens, for it even to be properly defended because of who is on the kicking team at that point. 
Yeah, and I, I watched that. I watched. I seen Devin Hester do that. <laughs> oh, he was he was absolutely magnificent. Just impossible, impossible to recreate what that guy did. So when we were talking before, yeah, amazing. We were talking before I brought you on the air that I wouldn't bring this up too much. However, I do have to ask you about the BCS title game that happened a month or so later against Florida State. Auburn got off to an amazing start to that game, but the Seminoles had a comeback for the ages. It was a sensational game to watch. But as high of a moment as you had in the Alabama game, I think you can admit that you didn't have your best performance in the national title game. Does that still haunt you at all, that you didn't play your best in that game? And ultimately, I know you won a title in 2010, but you weren't able to double up and finish your career with a ring as well. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I didn't play my best. You know, uh, like every football player, you're gonna have some some good plays and some some bad plays. And for outsiders looking in, you know, they don't know what's going on or on what's play or who made the mistake. You know, they just know that you was there at that time. You know, and 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 uh, I think a lot of people come when when that game come to mind. Think about the catch from Kevin Benjamin. You know, I think it was a good play call on on um, Florida State half. You know, it was a good play call, good catch. Yeah, believe me, there is no shame in getting beat for an alley-oop throw to Kelvin Benjamin. He did that to an awful lot of guys in his college career. But let's move away from the playing career and talk about the coaching situation that's going on at Auburn. And I'm curious about your experience because – most college players at some point are going to go through a coaching change. Very rarely do you get to finish your career with the guy who recruited you. So I'm curious about what the transition was like because you were originally recruited by and played for Gene Chizik. But by the time you were a senior, Gus Malzahn was on the sideline. So tell me what that was like when you knew, A, a change was being made from your guy to B, a new guy coming in. Granted, he was a guy you probably had a relationship with at some point. But tell me, what's that like as a player when your guy is gone, and now it's time to get used to a new coach coming in? It, it wasn't as big of a difference as you may think it was, because Gus was around uh, two years prior to that as the offensive coordinator. Exactly. You know, so we 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 kind of had a relationship, and once Gus took the offense, and you told me I was one of the guys. The reason why he took his job because he wanted to come back and work with. But it it wasn't it wasn't any you know um, transition that a lot of people couldn't couldn't adapt to, you know, because that was a familiar face around. You know, you had some people in the locker room was kind of mad at that decision because they they said we wanted a new a fresh start, you know, with a new guy. But I can I kind of embrace what Gus brought to the table. You know, Gus, that year, that whole year coming off that 3-9 and nine season, Gus said that we was going to have the biggest turnaround in college football. And we just kept taking it game by game by game. You know, and, and at the SEC media day, I, I told them that I was on the Gus bus. You know, Gus had everybody bought in. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm still a fan. Needless to say, incredible turnaround. But there's some chatter on the planes right now as well with Coach Malzahn. Even though he's potentially in the running still for the college football playoff, people are assuming that Arkansas coach Brett Bielema is out the door. Coach Malzahn has ties to the Razorbacks. He was a walk-on wide receiver there once upon a time. And there's some people out there wondering if maybe a change could be made. 
And I know that you were a part of Gene Chizik's team when a change was made there. But just what is it like as a player when these rumors are flying around about your coach? Do you say to yourself, hey, look, this is my guy. We need more time. Let's work our way out of this. Or do you ever think to yourself, yeah, I sort of understand it's a winning business and we're not winning enough right now. Hey, it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's a winning business. You know, and I think a lot of head coaches know that when they sign up for the job. You know, and I think Gus have done an unbelievable job at Auburn. And uh, I want to see Gus at Auburn for years to come. You know, that's that's just my opinion. You know, a lot of people views are different. So I can't speak on what everybody and all the outsiders think. You know, but as a coach, I think the te- the message to his team is tell them we got to worry about now. You know, we can't worry about all the distractions that's going on out outside. All right, so let's talk about the game on Saturday. Everybody can't wait for the Iron Bowl. It should be a classic. A couple of fantastic teams, almost a top five matchup. I think Auburn is number six right now. Tell me what you see in this particular Auburn team, offensively, defensively, even special teams with what Daniel Carlson has going on. Tell me what you like about this particular Auburn team that gives the Tigers a really good shot to pull off this game Saturday at Jordan-Hare. I mean, defense. I love Auburn defense, especially the front seven. You know, I think it's going to be a tough game, a tough game, kind of like um, – my senior year, 2013, you know, you're going to have a bunch of highs and lows. And I think Auburn, just that home field advantage, going to play a big role in that game. And, you know, like I said, I'm rooting for Auburn. You know, I hope we bring it home. Chris, last question for you. Um, tell me about a factor in this game that only a player would understand. I mean, people like me, I write about the SEC. I do some radio. I do some TV. I have my perspective. Coaches have their perspectives. Fans have their perspective. But if you're not wearing one of those helmets, you truly can't see what goes on during a big rivalry game like this one. So from your perspective as an ex-player in this rivalry, tell me a factor that's going to be a part of this game that only fellow players would truly understand? Uh, it's it's kind of tough, man. It's it's kind of tough. Because, you know, it, you got a lot of friends playing against each other. It's a rivalry, but you got a lot of friends playing against each other, and it's bragging rights. You know, Alabama don't have a, a NFL team in the state, and I think Auburn and, and Alabama are those two teams that – you know, NFL team that make up for an NFL team. And I, like I said, I just think it's bragging rights, man. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And feel free to give me a War Eagle on your way out the door. Yeah, War Eagle. <laughs> that was former Auburn cornerback Chris Davis. Remember to follow him on Twitter at Chris11AU. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends at WDAE in Tampa, as well as our sponsor, Bud Light. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast is located, and be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com.